say there is a potential user there and they want to leverage the open source software. And the community's goal is to really make those users very successful. And with that going in mind, the community itself will be the different people with different type of knowledge and different type of uh, function to help the community. The goal of the mechanism is to enable these people and to let these people have fun doing their work as well as at the same time being acknowledged. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. Today, I'm joined by HY, the creator of Alexio, an open source data orchestration solution. HY, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Eric. Maybe the best place to start, HY, is to tell us about day one of Alexio. How did Alexio be in? Day one means the launch day or? Uh, no, no, like the, the first line of code was written. Oh, that's a really good question. I don't remember, actually. Yeah. <laughs> this will be a short episode. Yeah, I, I don't remember the day one I wrote the code, uh, but I do remember the day one. At the time, I was a PhD student of MPAP UC Berkeley. Okay. And uh, I remember doing something like Alexio has always been what I wanted to do. And uh, actually, I put a uh, statement of purpose when I applied a PhD to Berkeley at the time. And uh, my first year there, I co-created Spark Streaming and became a Apache Spark funding committer. And uh, after that, my advisors and I had a conversation to start something like yeah. uh, from scratch. And uh, at the time, this concept, what we want to do was what we wanted to start. And uh, I remember the very first group conversation we had, it was my advisor, Jan Stoika, Professor Jan Stoika, and uh, my friends, Matei and uh, Ali uh, from Ampab UC Berkeley. And uh, we four of us, we had this early, early conversation at the patio uh, of a, Santa Cruz. Uh, at the time, we had a unplugged retreat, summer retreat. It was really fun. Actually, I don't remember exactly what we talked, but yeah. I remember it's a good memory. It's a fun conversation uh, for us. Okay, so maybe yeah. just to summarize, you had ideas that you wanted to work on this type of thing going into grad school. You worked on Spark Streaming, made uh, significant contributions there. And then as you were moving off that project is when you first started talking about what this project might exactly, be. Exactly, exactly. And, and and how definitive at this point was, I mean, did you know exactly kind of what you wanted to build or was it no. just, no, you didn't, <laughs> I, I wanted to do something new and yeah. it's in this general space. So it's funny, like, uh, so when I applied a PhD program at Berkeley, I said, uh, I want, in a, in a state of purpose, I said, I wanted to create a new storage system. Oh. I mean, Alux is not a storage system. Right. It's a data orchestration system. It's a new thing, completely new concept, uh, started from scratch. But the reason I wanted to do a storage, it's all kind of a, uh, aligned. The reason why I wanted to do a storage system was that I was very fascinated that we're in this data revolution. We're mm-hmm. still very early stage. And uh, in the data revolution, I feel like the most value, the value is in the data. Okay. And technology systems, they are enablers. Mm-hmm. And they enable people to extract the value from the data itself. Yeah. So that's the key. I thought about it before I went to Berkeley. So 
if that's the key, if that's the truth, what system will have the most strategic value in this? Will help people create the future yeah. faster and better? And to answer that question before the Berkeley time, I thought, look, what's the life cycle of the data? Most of the time, data stays in the storage system. And sometimes when some people or some program want to read the data, process it, they read it out and put it back. Yeah. And then if there's some output, it'll put it back as well. So the majority of the time, the data is in the storage. So I thought that's the key. Yeah. And there are so many innovations happening in the storage industry, storage system, so many new systems being created all the time. So I thought that's probably something worth doing yeah. uh, before Berkeley time. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So then in my first year at Berkeley and the very early stage, roughly time before starting this project, I was looking at the whole industry history, like particularly uh, storage system, like industry history for 40 years. And you will find very interestingly, like every five to 10 years, there's another wave of new storage systems disrupting the previous generation. Okay. That is a cycle. Yeah. Always like that for the past 40 years. And I figure there's a reasons behind it. And there are three dimensions of the reason, like fundamental trend, always happening in our industry, decided that. Mm-hmm. Those three dimensions are hardware advancement, architecture advancement, and workload change. Okay. So that triggered this five to 10 years change. Mm-hmm. And always in the storage industry, the single story being repeated has been, oh, I have a better storage. You should use us. And what does that mean? This better storage is cheaper, faster, easier to use. One of the three or combination of the three reasons yeah, yeah. you should use this new thing. And then I thought, look, if we create another storage system and we can be innovative as well, if we do this, create another one, probably 10 years later, we'll be disrupted as well. Okay. So that's awesome by creating something new. But if we can do something further, more fundamental, that's the reason we didn't do a storage. Yeah. And we also look at a trend from the compute, from the application perspective. They follow the similar trend. Like every three to five years, there's another wave of new workloads coming up. It's either disrupting the previous generation or being added into the ecosystem workloads. So because of that, we feel in this industry, in order to really enable and empower all those different types of data-like applications to completely leverage the data siloed and stored in various storage deployments, possibly different storage systems. We thought the only way probably can do this, can solve this problem, is to create a new layer, which we call the data orchestration system. That's how this idea evolved and took some time. (laughs) Yeah, I I can see why Berkeley took you. you. You thought this all out. Not not all out, yeah, right, but right. Yeah, 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 you yeah. thought about it. Thought about it, yes, right. yes. Okay, so you had this conversation. Eventually, you did some work. You had this conversation on the patio with Matai and others. Take me from there, how you got to working on this project. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, like, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And uh, to realize this vision, it takes a long time as well. It's not a one, two people's job. Right. Like, cannot get it done for one, two people, right? So you got to start from somewhere. Yep. And uh, I was very fortunate 
like the lab has a very strong like history in mm-hmm. terms of innovation right. and uh, as well as the results from this data ecosystem. And uh, Apache Spark is hugely popular and uh, also surrounded by the great technologists, great people in the lab, like uh, my advisors, my colleagues there. And also they give me the enough freedom to explore whatever I want to explore. So then where to start at the time, the very natural way is to start from like Spark ecosystem. And uh, the very first version of Alexio at the time, uh, the name called Techion. Yeah, I had kind of forgot. I, forgot <laughs> the name. I knew there was another name, but I had forgotten. Was, oh, yeah, yeah, Taekyung. So the very first version, the targeting workloads was only trying to share the data in memory between different Spark applications. That's the initial, initial first version. Yes. And people thought, a lot of people, when they saw that announcement, they thought it's a caching system for Spark. At the time, based on our functionality at the time, it was like mm-hmm. that. It started from there. Yeah. But till today, we're supporting so many different type of workloads with so many different stores behind us. It's a different world today. So it sounds like you had some bigger vision and you knew you wanted this initial use case. Mm-hmm. So who's working on it? It's you and other people in the lab at this point. So uh, many people like, uh, you know, like I was advised by advisors, right? right so right. and people like Matei, has tremendous experience with open source right and they all helped me a lot i'm very grateful for that but i coded the very first version okay twice there was a first version uh never released i don't remember what happened to that version yeah. <laughs> time flies yeah uh, actually i don't remember why i wanted to uh rebuild uh that version okay so anyway i coded the version and uh over the summer or maybe over the fall and then during the Christmas time, I did a, another pass, okay. or I, I did it again completely. Maybe could be the first version wasn't beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so that's the reason. Like uh, when we announced the first open source release, it's called a version zero point two instead of zero point one. Okay, I could see that in the versioning. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Any thoughts around that initial launch? Were there preparations you had to make? <laughs> I mean, what, what goes into putting code out the door uh, the first time? So that's uh, it's very early days. It's kind of crazy. I mean, think about it again. It's very small. Right. It's not a big deal. Yeah. But at the time, you know, I was a little bit nervous. And there was reaction from the ecosystem, whether people would pick it up or try it out, etc. Right. And uh, we have, I have another colleague called uh, Andy Kowinski. Okay. Uh, he's very good at like uh, marketing this as well. He helped uh, marketing the first launch. Okay. Uh, helped push that in a very good way, very successfully. First of all, it was picked up by many media. Very encouraging. Lots of people started to try right away. During the day or the second day of the launch, uh, you know, we launch, it's like other open sources, a community forum, et cetera. And we use the Google group as a community forum, user forum. And the first external post to that forum is this doesn't work. <laughs> so, so I, I was uh, very encouraging. Uh, yeah, very encouraging. So yeah. I, mean, I, I was very nervous when I saw that. Uh, but today, if someone told me the software doesn't work, I'm very happy. Yeah. So in a sense of people are trying it out, like uh, I want to hear what doesn't work. Right. And uh, tell me what doesn't work. And uh, we'll either tell you it shouldn't be the right use case or we'll fix it. So yeah. we have many, many like interactions in our community Slack channel every day, 
like uh, lots of people reporting, oh, this is awesome. We love this tool or, oh, this doesn't work. Uh, right. Why is that? So go back to the first launch. That's the first reaction from <laughs> the from the community. Yeah. I imagine you're continuing to evolve the project yeah. now. <clears throat> you have academic interests you're trying to satisfy yeah. or fulfill. At the same time, there's a few users that are nagging you or curious about developments. And how, are you, how do you manage those two things, the academic requirements as well as the community? Is that in contention at all or... At the time, in the end of the day, it's competing the time resource. Right. So on one side, I mean, I'm very passionate about this. I believe in this and it'll be done. Yeah. And it's on one side. In order to curate the community, you need to love the community, help the community, and then enable the community to grow. That requires a significant amount of time. Yeah. And as, at the other side, like us, you know, I was a PhD student back then, has a lot of like a responsibility in terms of getting papers out, doing research, doing collaborative uh, research projects on Aluxio, on back then called Tachyon, right? So it's all just competing the time resource. Yeah. I think I was very lucky at the time so that like lots of people, they, ha- they have interest in this from both industry as well as academia. Yep. And uh, there are a lot of people that are contributing to this project to this community in various ways. Uh, for example, from the academia perspective, there were several very high-profile uh, research projects built on top of this work, published in a top-notch conference like OSDI, ISOSP, yeah. NSDI, the best conference in system and networking and database, etc. And I was very fortunate to work with those people and the people leading this project Today, they are professors in uh, CMU, Stanford, etc. So that's the academia side. And from the community side, in the very early days, very fast, uh, you attract people from various companies, but some prominent companies like Intel, uh, like Red Hat, they all like contribute to this uh, like in a non-trivial way. Yeah, wow. I remember like they flew me. I mean, I was a student, yeah. so I was very happy. They flew me to uh, different cities where their major engineering resource related to this was located at the time and uh, let us communicate with each other and uh, exchange ideas. And then their engineers will try to implement it and contribute into the open source. And uh, we just, uh, you know, communicate, keep in touch all the time. Those people grow in the community, more impact in the community as well. Yeah, that's the two things. And at the same time, from the resource perspective, you know, like you have a 40 hours working week. And uh, if you work uh, slightly longer than that, so you can uh, essentially still divide your time over the week and you still can make things move forward. Yeah. You know, each uh, each side still have uh, sort of enough time to carry them on. Yeah. Move forward. And besides these two things, I think the MPLAB of UC Berkeley also provided a very good platform uh, for the academia research, academic research, to interact with the industry through like a sponsorship program of the lab, as well as the twice a year retreat, which the lab invites say, all the sponsors and uh, the engineer folks, uh, like technical folks from the sponsor of the company to the one same venue and students in the lab will present their results 
and work, and then they'll give feedback, those type of things. So this all helped in the very early days. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I imagine at some point the project's maturing enough that you hit some milestones that might be exciting. Yeah. You, you probably got some customers and or users in production. Yeah, yeah. And, and that could have been exciting. I don't know if you have any stories mm-hmm. around early users in production. Or as you're considering leaving university and deciding what to do with this project, any stories around your shift to then decide to spend your career, I guess, uh, in <laughs> Continuing the project. Yeah. I mean, along with all the like community engagement, industry engagement, yeah. like very naturally, many presentations. I remember first year, I probably did a hundred presentations myself. Wow. Yeah. Um, like uh, maybe sometimes three presentations a day to effectively, I mean, we live in a valley. Yeah. So that's more effective, you know, up and down in the yeah. valley. And then at one point, I remember it's uh, 20, the summer of 14. Like I got some inbound requests from the venture community. They, they, they want to understand what's going on, what's the vision, and I had some conversation. And at the time, also towards the end of 2014, I really sort of became the bottleneck of further grow this uh, community in a much more scalable way. Right. To do it well, it requires much more resource than at the time yeah. what we had, like full-time resource. And then that's the time I was very seriously thinking of maybe that's the right time to start a company to carry this forward, to realize the vision, to bring more interesting stuff to the industry, yeah, to let more people use it. Got it. And are there any other individuals that mm-hmm. take uh, kind of leading roles in yeah. this? I, I imagine it's hard to kind of get people on board and maybe when they're on board, are there people that help carry the banner for you? Yeah, yeah. So um, we have very strong people in the community, both from the industry as well as from academia. So on one side from academia, like for example, in my lab, we have the a luxury that uh, we can get some very talented uh, research assistant. They are either master students or undergraduate students from UC Berkeley. The very first person we got, uh, it was Kelvin, the person called Kelvin. Yeah. Kelvin Jia. So he's a very, very talented uh, individual, super smart, super, super smart. So he was the very first internal person I can rely on. And uh, in fact, after I founded the company, he's the first person to join the company. Yeah. And he's uh, with us today and uh, carry a very big role Got uh, to push this forward. And so example from the internal resource at the time. And from the external perspective, I remember people from uh, Intel, particularly there's a very strong team in Intel Shanghai, okay. a very big team working on various open source projects. And that team, uh, the person called Grace, she carries a significant role to evangelize and help grow this project. And uh, from Red Hat, uh, from Pivotal, which was part of EMC back then, before the acquisition of EMC, Dell EMC acquisition. Uh, that's a very early stage. And okay. these people started to evolve into the project and uh, all contribute significantly to this. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Fast forward us maybe a bit now, how you kind of have wrapped up the evolution of the project, mm-hmm. like governance, for example. Yeah. At some point, people might want to know how that's going to operate going yeah. forward. Have you thought through that? Yeah. So first of all, what's the goal? Right. right. That's that's uh, that's the most important thing. With a goal, you define what's the like mechanism. Yeah. So the goal 
is really to realize this vision. And uh, I mean, along the way, by realizing it, it requires significant collaboration, like in the big community, yeah. in the big ecosystem. And at the same time, by realizing it, this uh, software can have very good, significant impact to the world. Yeah, That is the goal. Besides, I mean, you need to realize the technical vision by being the data orchestration, orchestrating all the data. As a data orchestration system, it's like Alexio 2 data is like Kubernetes to compute. That's yeah. a goal, right? Yeah. So with that, you want to build a very big community. And in the community, there are different parties involved. And uh, the fundamental part is that we want to enable more and more users. So say there is a potential user there and they want to leverage the open source software. And the community's goal is to help them to really make those users very successful. That's a goal. Yeah. And with that goal in mind, the community itself will be the different people with different type of knowledge and different type of uh, function to help the community. There will be people more focusing on the software development side, yeah. contributing side, feature side, documentation side, testing side, all critical, all very important. That's on one side. On the other side, you also have people helping evangelizing the software, users coming out to speak for this uh, software, how to do software, share the experience with other users as well as other potential users. And these, all these people are critical. So the goal of the mechanism is to enable these people and to let these people have fun doing their work as well as at the same time being acknowledged. So the way we're doing this today is that we have the maintainer and we have the PMC and we have the contributor. And today we have like 1,000 plus, 1,000 plus contributors. Awesome. Uh, people can see that from our GitHub repository. I think it's almost 1,100 today. And uh, that's the contributor side. And we have probably 40 PMCs, around 10 maintainers and uh, to hold up the code standard. Yeah. Uh, that's the current, this part of the structure. And then from the community, there are a lot of people testing the software using the software. Yeah. And you want to enable those people to provide a feedback loop to the community. And the way we're doing this, like today, the best channel for us is uh, called us with Slack, developer, we like Slack. And then whenever some people say this doesn't work, that doesn't work, or this requires, or this is confusing, that's confusing, or I need another feature, all those type of things. Besides this uh, conversation in the Slack channel, we encourage those people to you know, really contribute, like file an issue in our GitHub. And then some other people will take care of that issue. And uh, that's a Slack channel side. And that's a community engagement side with a user community. And then after some users, some people become the user, and then we'll encourage them to talk. We have a global online meetup. Besides the physical, like uh, local meetups at different places, now we have this online meetup to enable users to share their story. And of course, we have uh, users at different cities, metro areas. They will sometimes like host the meetups by themselves. Yeah, you know, like uh, two weeks ago uh, in Beijing, there was a meetup organized by the community. Of course, we helped as well. 
one presenter from Alibaba, one presenter from uh, JD.com, one presenter from uh, Baidu. And uh, they all present their production use cases, super encouraging, super exciting uh, like material. And uh, for the global online meetup example, like probably four or five weeks ago, or something like that. So we had a online meetup like uh, ING Group. They presented their production use cases of uh, Presto, Alexio, and uh, DCOS, and uh, their S3 storage systems, etc. So that's that's how this uh, we try to make this whole thing flow like uh, as smooth as possible. But still, there's a lot of more work to be done to really uh, achieve the what we want to achieve. Yeah, yeah, great. Uh, maybe walk me through uh-huh. the contributing experience. So. Uh-huh. As you described, if I get interested in Alexio, I try it out and I will have an idea for something to be added. I can engage with people on Slack. Yeah. I, can, I can raise an issue in yeah. GitHub. Yeah. If there's some interest around those activities, I could create a PR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the maintainers you mentioned can choose to pull that in. Yeah. That's more or less the... Yes, but we can roughly maybe... There are three type of users. Yeah. Like one type of user, uh, super technical. Right. And uh, besides using our software, they want to write code for it as well. Yeah. Doing new features like what you said. Yep. And typically these type of developers, either from very strong like startups. Yeah. Or huge giant tech giants. Yeah. Like uh, the three companies I mentioned. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> they have uh, thousands of thousands of strong engineering force in the company. So this is category one, and they will do what you said. Yep. And uh, when that happens, some relationships are pretty strategic. For example, the company I mentioned, like JD, they are trying to use us in a very big way. They are right. already deployed us like 1,000 plus nodes. Yeah. And uh, they want to deploy much more than that. Yeah. And uh, they have some joint development with us to contribute to the community. And they are testing us. Uh, new features, all those type of things. Yeah. It's super, super exciting. So that's very close engagement. And uh, the maintainers and PMC will work with those people very closely. And the developers who are doing this work from those companies, they gradually they will be promoted into PMCs. And then if they did more work and have the high standard for the code, they'll be promoted as a maintainer. Yeah. So that's the first category. And we have done that actually, in fact. And uh, the second category is that users as well. And uh, they want to use the software. They find some bugs with integration with their environment or some small features they want to add. And that's relatively straightforward. As long as our side have a, like the community has a mechanism to make sure their like request, their code, their feature, their conversations being handled like uh, timely. So then they will be very happy. And uh, that's what we're doing every day as well. And the third category is more of a towards the user, but not trying to modify a code at all side. And uh, they are trying to solve an issue by using a software without code changing the software. And uh, that's actually the majority in the end of the day. Yeah. And uh, for that, like what we encourage them to do is to file the box and uh, file the feature request. And that's that's uh, three different categories we, we encourage in different ways. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, HY, I want to make sure we cover anything you wanted to cover. That was the story we wanted to capture today. Uh-huh. Beginnings of the project, 
how the project evolved and where you're at today, uh-huh. especially as you engage with the community. Uh-huh. Anything uh, in addition you want to say about Alexio or its community? Yeah, maybe I'll share. <laughs> so this is more about the story of how yeah. this uh, software and community grew up. But maybe I will share a little bit more regarding what we exactly do today. Yeah, so, yes. So then hopefully listener, the audience, if they find it interesting, they can check it out and uh, possibly join our community as user or contributor, et cetera. Please. So what, we are a data orchestration system. So essentially in the stack, we are in the middle between all the data-driven applications as a top layer on top of us. Uh, and below us, that's all the storage systems. And uh, the good examples for the frameworks on top of us, they are like uh, Presto, they are like Apache Spark, uh, like TensorFlow, all the data analytics as well as machine learning tools. And for future, more data workloads on top of us. That's the workloads running on top of us. And below us, there are all the file systems and object stores today, like file system, like HDFS, like NFS, uh, like Aslan, et cetera. And for the object stores, it is Amazon S3, GCP storage, like Microsoft Azure storage, or like EMC, ECS, et cetera. So this new layer data orchestration system in the middle essentially virtualize the data from all these different store systems and sometimes they cache the data as well, and present all this data, abstract them and present all this data to all the upper layer applications. Mm. So this enable, this any of the data-driven applications we mentioned, use Alexio to interact with the data from any storage deployments. Got it. And it brings the data accessibility to these applications as well as performance gain to these applications. And some very, very uh, like simple and common use cases are, for example, if you have a hybrid cloud, you want to leverage the compute in the cloud envir- environment. You run your Presto, Spark TensorFlow in the cloud on top of Alexio, co-located. And Alexio will help manage how the data move around between the on-premise environment and the cloud environment. That's a hybrid cloud use case, very yeah. common. Yeah. And enable many uh, leading companies to do this uh, leverage uh, cloud computer resource easily without moving the data at all. The second common use case is single cloud data acceleration use case. Essentially, when you are running Presto Spark in a single cloud environment, you have data in S3 or some other storage. You can use Alexio to provide performance acceleration as a consistent performance SLA. And we have people running this type of workloads, like 50% performance improvement, some 10-time performance improvement in the SLA guarantee case. And that's very popular as well. And beyond these two, there are many other use cases. I would encourage people to go to our website, uh, alexio.io, to check them out. And uh, we have maybe 40, 50, or even more production deployment detailed uh, use case studies wow. uh, in the Power by section, and people can click uh, to see their slides, blog, uh, to talk about how they are using Alexio, and hopefully those could be useful to our other potential users. Got it. 40 to 50 use, like Power by examples is impressive. It sounds like maybe in summary that the two value propositions are one, just connectivity, being mm-hmm. able to connect to various systems, storage systems, yeah, data systems, etc. Through, through yeah. kind of one paradigm, or yep. at least through 
uh, be able to swap between those easily yes. is, is one. And then the other is performance. That- exactly. That's a, the strong two strongest value at right. the moment. And there are other people for different various use cases leverage more value like a Mate Cloud, but that's the more advanced use cases where we encourage people to look at their website. Awesome. HY, thank you so much for coming today and telling us your story and, and Alexio's story. Keep up the good work. Great. Thank you for having me. find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor.